Amazing. Is that good? Yeah. yeah. All right, you guys can go ahead and be seated. So in August 2010, in, in England, there's this thing that happened, and I read the news article about it, and as a pastor, I have to say these stories because they're hilarious to me. And it was something that probably would feel common to a lot of us in the room. There's a husband and wife in their apartment, and all of the lights had burned out in the bathroom, and it was kind of that thing of like, oh, I'll get to that tomorrow, you know, month two later, whatever. Um, the, it, the bathroom was completely dark, and the wife was going into the bathroom to use the facilities, and as she did, she saw some of you guys' worst fear, a big, hairy spider, all right? And she did what often happens, um, called the husband to come dispatch this spider. And the article doesn't clearly say who shut the door, but in my mind, I'm pretty sure that when husband went in, she's like, shut the door, only one of you guys are allowed to come out of there, all right? And, and so the door was shut, and it was completely dark in there, and so he's in there trying to hunt this spider, and he decided the best way to handle killing this spider was to grab an aerosol can, probably hairspray, and just, like, freeze it into death. Like, I mean, that's what he was going for. And the spider ran behind the toilet, and he's sitting there spraying at it, trying to kill it, but it's dark in there, and so he doesn't know if he's killed the spider yet. So he pulls a lighter out of his pocket. Yeah, you know where this is going. Reaches behind the toilet with his lighter, ignites it, ignites all of the aerosol. It had such a powerful ignition, it blew the door off of the hinges, <laughs> burned him up pretty good, set part of the toilet on fire. I don't even know how you set porcelain on fire. <laughs> By the time the paramedic and the firefighters got there, the fire was all out, and so that was okay, and he was trying to manage his burns in the shower with cold water. They looked around. They couldn't find any spider pieces anywhere, so their kind of theory was the spider survived. Um, he narrowly survived. But talk about a bad day. It's like common thing, like just got to go in here and kill a spider. Common, run in the mill, and then all of a sudden, one turn, one spark, and things explode. And I'm pretty sure that's not how he pictured his day going. He probably didn't want to become semi-famous for that happening in his life. And I don't even know how you explain what you were thinking to other people when that's what happened. I mean, it's so easy. Murphy's Law, whatever can go wrong, usually does. Like, I mean, he experienced that. But I know you've experienced that whole thing of it was a normal day. Things were running normally as they do. And then all of a sudden, things got bad. And it may not be as funny as a you know, can of hairspray and a spider. I mean, it very well might be more serious. Many of us have gotten the phone call that we did not want to get. Many of us have experienced loss of a spouse, a loved one, a friend, a child, and it wrecks your heart. And especially when it's something serious, especially when it's a heavy weight that you feel like is on your shoulders, I feel like there is this reaction that says, God must be mad at me. I must have earned this pain somehow. And don't get me wrong. We do stupid things and play stupid games, win stupid prizes. There's times where we do things and it's just, okay, you lit aerosol on, on fire. Of course, that's going to end badly. But sometimes it's not things that were our choice. It was a family member's choice. It, it was just an accident that happened. There's no one to blame. But when we go through difficulty and suffering, I don't want your initial reaction to be, 
God is punishing me because that's not scriptural. And on top of that, there's examples in scripture as we study scripture that we just see how people handled incredibly real, heartbreaking difficulty in the way that they talked about it. And today the passage that we're going to study comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. But before we get to verses 8 through 10, I want you to know what, the way that the Apostle Paul opens up the passage. Am I coming through the speakers? All right, all right, good. Um, he opens up the passage in verse 1, and he says, This is a letter from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And from our brother Timothy, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth and to all of his holy people throughout Greece. Now, Paul starts off mentioning his title, which I think is important because before he gets to his topic, he's straight into like, I'm, I'm, I'm a leader within this church. Like, this is the position God's given me. I'm not unsure about this. This is who I am. I'm close to God. There's not hesitation or confusion about that. And I think that's important because as we get into what happened to him, he wasn't confused about, is God doing this because I'm far away from him? Is God doing this because he's punishing me? Like he starts off saying, I'm, I'm close with God. I'm an apostle. And then he writes into his experience. And we're going to start at verse 8 and we'll project this up onto the screen as I read it. And we're going to read verses 8 through 10 as we begin. It says, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God, who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Now, I don't know if people in the church today have actually ever felt overwhelmed and depressed. Because when you step into church, usually everyone is just happy. And in fact, I think if the Apostle Paul stepped into a church and started talking like this, somebody would grab him by the ear and pull him to the side and say, don't you know that you're supposed to be joyful? Don't you know that you're supposed to be happy? Why don't you turn that frown upside down and pull it together, mister? You're supposed to be a leader in this church. We don't need our leaders talking about, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. I mean, that's a tension that we've got to figure out as a church. Is it okay for people to walk into the building and feel terrible? Because they're walking through something that is legitimately terrible. Because as we read scripture and we look at what the leadership of the church went through, it shouldn't come as a shock that people today are still going through pain. And it's okay to be going through pain. It's okay to be going through suffering and difficulty. I mean, how could we look at the Apostle Paul and say, act a little bit more like a Christian, like, like just mask the pain? That, that's not what God wants from us. And so I just first, at the beginning of this message, I want to give you permission that if things are difficult, they're allowed to be difficult right now. If you're walking through pain, it's okay to be hurting right now. What's not okay is to continue to walk through that pain in isolation. That's not how God has designed you to function. That's not what scripture teaches the church to be. We might be walking through pain, and that's okay, but we're not supposed to walk through it by ourselves. First of all, there's the recognition that, that God should be close. It says that he draws near to the brokenhearted. 
That, that if we're looking for him, he's going to show up in the middle of the pain to walk with us through it. But on top of that, the church is supposed to be there to help carry each other's burdens. The church is supposed to be this place where if you're hurting, somebody knows about it. But the problem is we've often lived our life in a way that has removed people from having access to us. We've made decisions, and I don't want to sound inconsiderate if you're feeling isolated, but, it, but maybe you're on that edge of beginning to get so far away from other people that if you got hurt, got sick, missed church for two weeks, you don't have enough relationships with other people, they would, they would even notice that you're gone. And I want to encourage you that if you're in that circumstance, you need to begin to take some very specific steps. Because you've gotten to that point by making decisions. Like, I'm making the decision that when I see the opportunity to join a Bible study or a small group, I'm going to pass it. And so I'm not going to know those people. Um, specifically, I'll talk to parents of teenagers right now. When your teenager needs advice, you don't want them going to their dumb friends. And I say that because I was a teenager and I was dumb once. And every teenager, who, every man who grew up and went through the teen years, you know that you weren't qualified to be giving anyone advice. And when a teen needs advice, they text their friends and they get dumb advice. There, there's a youth pastor here named Drew. That's who you want your kid going to for advice when they need someone to speak into something that they're not ready to talk to you about. But if you don't ever give your kid the opportunity to engage with him, get connected to him, if you don't have him over to your house for dinner sometimes so your kid feels comfortable enough to get him or his wife Ray Ray's number to text them, then you've made a decision to not give them access to them. Same thing with the pastor. You have a pastor who is willing to go have coffee with you, go have lunch with you, go have dinner with you at the, the drop of a hat. You send me a text and I will be there. You have the ability to be connected to people at your church. And I know it's not just true of me. There are hundreds of other people within Gulfside Church or within Diplomat Wesleyan Church that would be happy to spend time with you. But you cannot just sit idly by and move through your days without ever trying to be connected, expecting someone to grab a hold of you. And it is a beautiful thing that when the church starts doing its job, when we start reaching towards each other, then someone who has been needing connection will get it because you stepped up, but you don't get to use the excuse, well, no one has invited me. That responsibility is on your own shoulders. You're not alone. There's opportunities here. And I hope someone does just invite you in, but you have a responsibility to keep yourself from isolation, to protect yourself in the way that you live your faith. And that's by getting connected to people. It helps us through trouble. We're supposed to have people. And even when you go through trouble, we see this truth that, that we, we strengthen each other through it. And, and all these instances that we have, because Paul refers to this trouble that he had in verse 8, but we're not really certain which trouble it was. And man, I know this is an encouraging word, suffering. Thank you, Pastor Paul. I came to church to get lifted up and encouraged, and you're going to talk about suffering. I mean, the Apostle Paul, you can't look at his life without talking about it. When he says that he suffered this thing in Asia, we then narrow the scope. Okay, what are all the sufferings that he went through just in the Asia region to try to figure out which one he's talking about as he describes this. In Acts 20 verse 3, he, he was in that region and there was a time where Jews were waiting and they tried to ambush him and he had to avoid them and get out of the situation and he almost got killed and that, that could have been one of the ones that he's talking about this. Acts 19.23, there is an insurrection uh, of these metal craftsmen who, who tried to get the apostles killed. Um, Demetrius was one of them. And they actually dragged two of Paul's traveling companions through the streets into a theater trying to rally up enough support to kill them. But no one got killed that day. I mean, it could have been that one too. In 1 Corinthians 15.32, you may not have realized this. This was an interesting one. There's a time where he got attacked by wild beasts. 
and he had to fight them off with his hands. I mean, he could have been talking about that suffering. The most likely one is probably Acts 14, 19, when he was in Lystra, and, and it actually talks about that, that some Jews came and they stoned him, and they, they left him thinking that he was dead. And so, like, to talk about the trouble and the suffering that, that he went through, I mean, he was literally attacked with stones, and the reason that it stopped is because they looked at him, and they said, well, that looks like a dead man. And so as you read the passage that he, he's writing about, this experience of what his suffering was like, when he says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. They thought they would, they would never live through it because the people who put them through it thought they were dead. I mean, like, that's the point of difficulty that he was going through. They, they bore the bruises. They bore the stress. They weren't okay. I, I mean, the Greek gives the picture of, of the, the weight that it's like weight on someone's shoulders that they crumple under because it's just too heavy for them. And I want you to know that if you've been going through something and you felt like, this is just too much for me to bear alone. There are things that you're not supposed to be able to bear alone. You're not meant to navigate that by yourself. You're supposed to be connected to people, but also you're supposed to be connected to your Heavenly Father in a way that when bad things come in, when suffering comes in, you don't sit there and question yourself, is this happening because I'm far from God? Because you've already spent time with Him that day. You already know his closeness and his grace and his compassion. But if you have made decision after decision to space yourself off from God, to space yourself off from his people, it's going to be a lot worse. We're not meant to be alone. We're not meant to be abandoned. The first point, I want to say it this way. We are never abandoned, but we can be overwhelmed. And I want you to understand the, the two truths in that statement. You are never abandoned. Even by your own decisions, when you've led yourself into a destructive place and it's brought pain to you, your Heavenly Father is still waiting for you. The church is still waiting for you. You have not messed up enough to, to be pushed out. You are greeted back. Uh, in the, the story of the prodigal son, Jesus describes the father's love and says, when that prodigal son was coming back home, the father ran to meet him because that's the type of love your heavenly father has for you and that's the type of love the church is going to mirror when you decide to come back home, you're going to be greeted that way. But the other truth in that is there are times where we will feel overwhelmed. And so I want you to be prepared for those times. I want, I want you to understand that they happen and I need community to get through them. And so I have to take those steps and those action steps to get into community. In verse 9, when he's talking about the suffering that he went through, it continues on. We can put this back up on the screen in verse 9. It says, in fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God, who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from the mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. And we have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Now, I don't know how you feel when you go through something that feels like my world and my plan and my hope and my future, it all feels like it just fell apart. When I get hurt deeply, I know that my gut reaction is to get angry and to get bitter. That's generally how I like to respond to pain. 
Like you cause me pain, I cause you pain right back. I will mirror your attitude. That's my natural reaction to situations. If you want to act that way to me, I'll act that way to you. That's the natural reaction. And so I would understand if someone went through a pain like the Apostle Paul is describing and, and they were like, I'm just done with this. If this is what I get for serving God, I can find better things to do with myself. Paul was an educated man. He had options. But he, he looked at this and he didn't get angry. In fact, I mean, this, this is interesting to me. In verse 9, he says that they learned from it. Not just learned how to avoid them. Like, they learned to rely only on God. It's amazing to me that in living out his faith and living out the call that he had on his heart to make a difference in the world and experiencing suffering and difficulty, his response to the suffering and difficulty was, there's something that I can learn from this. There's something that has impacted my faith for the positive from this. With my staff, I always talk, I don't always talk, but I, I remind them. Not that I always have to remind them because there's not that many problems in our church, but I remind them that when they enter into a conversation where someone's upset, when there's a difficulty, when there's a tension to be managed, that they always have two buckets. They have one bucket of water and one bucket of gasoline. And when something's going wrong, they will choose which bucket they pour onto the situation. You have a choice when things are going badly of how to react to it. But I think that you, many of us have been going through our life thinking we only had a bucket of gasoline. When God has given us a choice. He's given us a choice about how to react to things. And in fact, it's the thing that matters the most. The circumstances you're going through, they don't really control you. How you respond to the circumstances, that really determines the direction that your life is going to head. And so if you have gone through something that's incredibly difficult because of a choice you made, because of a choice that someone else made, because it just happened, it was an accident, if you've been going through that, you have a choice to make. Will I look at this and will I learn from it? Or will I allow it to just be destructive to me? Because the, these issues, you know, when you've heard stories from people who went through incredibly difficult things, those are the stories that encourage you the most. They, they help you the most. I, when I ask people questions about what is something that's taught you the most in your life, usually people who are, are, are my age or a little bit older, they usually point towards their marriage or being a parent as things that they just learned a ton from. Because both of those things are really hard. <laughs> I mean, I know like it's beautiful. Marriage is beautiful and wonderful and fun. But it can also be very difficult at times. Parenting. Oh, my perfect angel babies. They will drive you nuts at times. <laughs> right? And then, and then the two things can team up on you all at the same time. Like when a baby monitor gets involved in your marriage and, and it's 2 a.m. and you're both wanting to be asleep. You both earned the sleep. You both worked hard all day. And that baby starts calling for somebody. And then you have to make a decision about who is going to do what. Like it, it's easy in that stressful situation to create a fight. Scripture actually describes a marriage as two people who are supposed to be out serving each other, putting their needs above each other. And that's why Scripture tells you to marry someone who has that similar faith because if you don't have that in your marriage and you try to outserve the person, they never try to serve you, you're going to feel walked upon. And one of the things that's impacted me the most in my marriage is, is seeing the way my wife operates. And it's called me up to, to be a better man. And in these times of difficulty, we face so many challenges through our marriage. Uh, of learning how to, to navigate life together, of jobs, of moves, of children, of heartache. 
as, as I've seen all those, I've seen God write this incredibly beautiful testimony of his faithfulness. And the things that test you, they, they can become a story. The things that are hard, they, be, they be, can become a picture of God's love if you navigate them the right way. The second point from this that, that I want us to see is testing can become testimony. And this is an important mindset to grab a hold of because when you begin to enter a period of difficulty, of struggle, of suffering, if you enter into it with a mindset of this testing can become testimony, then it changes the way that you handle it from the very beginning. Because you look at it and say, okay, this isn't about me. I am not the central story to the existence of matter throughout the universe. It's actually not about me. And so how I navigate this can actually lift up the name of Christ. And even though it's legitimately hard, I'll make a decision to make this a testimony and not just a victim mindset. Because we can very easily enter into those times of difficulty and suffering and just say, oh, the world owes me something. I didn't deserve this. And so I'm just going to sit here and be angry until someone makes it better for me. And many of us have learned that after a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, no one else is going to fix this for me. I have to fix it for myself. And with God's help, we are able to. We are able to progress forward. But we have to have that mindset where we set our mind on the things above, not the things of earth, that, that we're going to see things from a heavenly perspective because it's so easy to get caught up in living our life in a way that's just focused on our comfort. And if our life is focused on protecting our comfort, when our comfort is taken away, our peace is taken away. And our life is not about our comfort. It's about making a difference. Jesus talked about it, and he talked about where are you storing up your treasure? Like, what is the most important thing to your heart and is it going to be around for long? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, we'll put this up on the screen as I read it. It says, don't store up treasure here on earth. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty clear statement. I mean, it's hard to get that confused as far as what it means. Don't store up treasures here on earth. That's a great starting point. Don't store treasures here on earth where moth and moths eat them and rust destroys them and thieves break in and steal Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, first of all, I want to say this passage encouraged me because it, it tells us to be thinking about heaven. When, when my mind is on the ultimate reality, and I say ultimate reality because the fact is this life is brief. It's a, it's a morning vapor here one moment, gone the next. Our life on earth, it, it, it's only a small window of opportunity. In eternity, what we've done with this life, it matters forever. And so when I start myself up just thinking about that truth, what am I doing that will matter forever. It changes the way that I see my interactions with other people. It changes the way that I see the times where I'm going through difficulty. It changes what my heart treasures. And I'll tell you what, when my heart treasures something, when it desires something, despite how limited resources I might have, I will find a way to get that thing. I'm a scuba diver. I, will, I, I couldn't afford to buy new stuff. Man, I found a way. I bought stuff. I learned how to fix gear. Like My heart will figure out how to get what it wants. 
And so the question is, what does my heart want the most? What is your heart driving you towards? What, are the, what is the treasure that your heart is having you pursue? And I'm going to guess that most of you guys are pretty much like me. When your heart gets set on something, you'll find a way to get to it. And so Jesus said, where is your treasure? Because the last part of it, verse 21 says, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So what is your treasure? What is the thing you rejoice about the most? What is your life pointing everything towards? Because if it's pointing us towards things that don't honor God, that don't help other people move towards the kingdom of God, I think you're going to be disappointed in what that turns into in the future. I was reading a, 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 a short snippet from someone's journal. It was a young Christian who was walking with a 93-year-old who had spent his life in industry and, and just burned his time at working. And he was walking and he said, I, I've made millions of dollars and I have millions in my accounts, but I'm 93. I'm going to pass away soon. And it's all worthless to me now. And the young Christian's response to that in his head that he wrote in his journal was, I, I realize I have much more wealth than he does, because my wealth is not here on earth. There will be a point. There will be a point in each one of our lives where we're no longer worried about our checkbook, and we're no longer worried about our car. But we will be considering, how does my Heavenly Father view the way that I've stewarded this life, that I've invested this life, that I've invested my time, how will he see the way that I've used the gifts he's given me to impact other people? And I think that's one of the greatest treasures, too. When you get to look back at someone's life and say, God used me to encourage and walk alongside and help that person, I think those are the things that we really hang on to through our life. It's fun to see God put a life back together and say, you know what, I know that God worked through me, but I know that it was all God's hand at work. That's a treasure you want to hold on to. Jim, I'm going to share two quotes with you guys, and I think they're pretty familiar quotes um, to you, but I just think they, they fell in with this. Um, they're both from people who spent their life on the mission field. One caught a disease, David Livingston caught a disease, and, and he died in Africa while he was serving in missions, and that's what he spent his life doing. Um, the second person, Jim Elliott, he was actually killed by the tribe that he was trying to reach, but through his death, it opened the door into that tribe. Um, where God began to move in an incredible way. And, and they were both missionaries. That was what their passion was, was reaching people for Christ. And David Livingston said this of his sufferings and the difficulties of the mission field. And we'll put this up on the screen. All these sufferings are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Now listen, when someone lives out in the bush of Africa and they leave the comforts of home, there's just part of our mind that says, how could you do that? But his mind could so clearly see heaven. His mind could so clearly see the importance of the gospel. He, he could so clearly see the inheritance that God had for him one day. He said, I, I made a really good trade. <laughs> I never made a sacrifice for what I've gained for this. Jim Elliott said it this way, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We try so desperately to hold on to things that just legitimately don't matter. We invest so much of our life 
on things that are passing, and we often neglect the things that are important until suffering and tragedy and difficulty strike. And some things get to be put into perspective. And I am not delegitimizing any of your difficulties or stresses, but I want to tell you sometimes they can be blessings in disguise. Sometimes we can learn from them. The Apostle Paul said, we learn to rely on God even more through these things. And it's a church's job to walk with people through these struggles and to pray with them and help them. And right now, this is, this is real in our church. There's people who've gone through losses right now. Um, and just for clarity's sake, I planned this message about three weeks ago. I decided where this was going to be. And God, I, I believe, led that. Um, and most of you guys know George and Dorothy Allen in our church. Uh, last week, their um, 54-year-old son suddenly had a heart attack and passed away. And so be praying for them. They, they went up and they had a service for him yesterday. Um, his name was Scott Allen. He was a volunteer firefighter. Um, he, he knew the Lord. I talked with Dorothy the first hour that she found out, and she was expectantly heartbroken. I mean, you can't prepare for that, for your, for your oldest son's passing. And in the midst of her crying and talking through some things and me just listening, um, without any prompting or any, anything from me, she just said that you know, she trusts the Lord through this. And I, it, just, it took my breath away for her to just speak of her trust in a moment like that. Because I can't imagine how I would feel walking through something so heavy. I got a text from another lady in our church who wanted to send her a card because she heard of the passing. And I just I had to share this text that I got from her. Um, she said, I know exactly what they're going through. It's not fun, but certainly received blessings through the trial. There's a family in our church who's going through it now. There's families in our church who've already been through it. And they can say that when you open up to God through this, when you trust him through this, he'll trade those ashes for beauty. He'll trade those burdens for blessings. But we have to deal with it in a way that honors God. And he'll, he'll turn that testing into a testimony. The third point is this that I want you to see is the blessings will overtake the burdens. If you're walking through trials right now, I believe, I have seen, and I can point you to other people in our church who will tell you that the blessings will overtake the burdens. It will be hard. It will be more than you can bear. But God has given you access to himself. He's given you a church to hold you up. And he says, I'll walk with you through this. So you don't have to be alone. Church, we can't control what happens to us, but with God's help, we can choose how we react to it. So you have a choice to make. Band, if you guys will come up, I'm going to pray, and we'll sing our closing song. You have a choice to make, to continue to make. And I believe that in obedience to Scripture's teaching and view of the reality that difficulty does come, I want to encourage you to not allow yourself to to be isolated. Live your life in community. You're not meant to do this alone. And when suffering comes, you don't have to pretend like it didn't happen. But I do want you to know your Heavenly Father will see see you all the way through it until you as well say, I see the blessings that came. I see the way that God will use this. I can trust Him even more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
as we walk through difficulties, our decision, our choice will be to follow your lead, to follow the teachings of the apostles, and to rely on you even more as we face difficulties. We thank you for your presence, and we thank you for the church. And God, would you just put it on our hearts to reach out to other people? Because we know that we need it, and we know that they need it, and we know that we're called to it. Thank you that you walk through us. You walk through whatever we're facing with us. We are grateful in Jesus' name.